Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. It is Saints Day here in the off-season review series. We are in the middle of the NFC South, and we are talking about a team that uh, just barely somehow missed out on the playoffs last year, but is uh, sufficiently reloaded, in my opinion, to uh, at least try to make another run this year with the new cast of characters. So a lot to talk about today on one of the more intriguing teams in the NFC. But before we get to all that, EJ, buddy, my wonderful co-host, how are you doing tonight and uh, what are you drinking? Looking forward to it. Looking forward to talking about one of the more intriguing teams in the NFC South. Uh, One of your favorites, the all-star, Key Lime. Oh, yeah. Yeah, managed to find a small stash of Key Lime, so I'm going to crack that puppy right now. But uh, yeah, rolling through, we're getting to the top half of what was the NFC South last year and Lots of change. Uh, an organization that's been uh, very steady as she goes, and some of that we'll talk about remains, but uh, obviously with Drew Brees moving on and Sean Payton moving on, a lot of changes at the top of the organization. So feels fresh and new, uh, a little more exciting in some ways. Might not all be exciting good, uh, but we'll get to that. So how you doing, and what did you just pour? Uh, a very, very generous pour of Eagle Rare. Which, for my money, uh, I don't even want to call it a budget bourbon, but in terms of like high quality aged bourbons that you can get for less than $35. For my money, Eagle Rare is the best in the market. Uh, one of my favorite bourbons year after year. It never misses, ever. It's my best friend in the world. And, uh, well, other than you, of course. Wow. Look Second at you. best friend in the world. Look at you. I feel like I'm slotted right in behind <laughs> Eagle Rare there, and that's okay. It's good company. It's good company. Uh, We're going to start off with the same segment we do for every single show, which is a little bit of a 2021 recap, high-level recap, before we get into everything that happened since the end of the 2021 season. Uh, The Saints did end at 9-8, again, barely, barely missing out on the playoffs. Uh, The only NFC South team that did make the postseason uh, was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but the Saints were right there in the end. Um, They did make a really, really strong push in the last five games. They went 4-1. Over their last five, um, you know, they they were legitimately in it in the last week to make an improbable playoff push, uh, despite being down their starting quarterback, actually technically being down two quarterbacks, if I recall correctly, um, you know, just just barely missed out. Uh, but they did finish second in the division. Weirdly enough, this is not your older brother Saints team. Um, they were a better road team than home team, which is the exact opposite of what you think with the New Orleans Saints, you know, going back to the the prime like 2009 to 2014 Saints with Drew Brees, where they were 
absolutely unbeatable at home, but you could get them on the road. You know, you get them outside of that dome, they're a little bit vulnerable. Complete opposite last year. And I think it's because, uh, to be quite honest, they've almost flipped their style from those quote-unquote prime Saints years. They're a defensive team. They run the ball. They do well on the road because of that. Uh, But whenever they would get into those dome shootouts, i.e. at home, they didn't quite have the firepower to keep up, especially after Jameis went down. So, um, kind of a kind of an interesting little flip to the franchise there. But with Jameis coming back and some of the added weapons that we're going to talk about pretty soon here, I think that they are a a more balanced team now than they were six months ago when they barely missed the playoffs. They definitely can't lean on the same strengths that they used to, and that includes uh, their home prowess. But from a personnel standpoint, from a coaching standpoint, we're going to talk about the stability. But from a personnel standpoint, this is a changed team. They have different priorities on offense, some of the same, but they're going to have to shift. And it's going to be fascinating to see how they do that on defense. They're going to bring, I think, a lot of the same style. But again, the cast of characters is not the same and continues to shift. A lot of stalwarts uh, are gone. There are a few that remain. They've imported some new ones, and we'll see how that works in balance, uh, trying to replace some pretty high-profile players that left uh, with maybe a combination of a couple of not-as-high-profile players and trying to get the same result. So it's going to be a really interesting watch this season in New Orleans to see how those shifts work on both sides of the ball, frankly. If there's one power structure that I trust to make it work, it's this one. Um, this is a front office and coaching staff, and we've talked about it every year when we do these reviews. Like It is one of the most stable ships in the sea. Mickey Loomis at general manager EVP, 23 years with the organization. He's been there since uh, Y2K was a legitimate concern to the American public. Like That tells you a lot. Um, Dennis Allen, it is year one at head coach for him with the Saints, but he does have head coaching experience with the Raiders. And he spent the last five, six years as defensive coordinator. So he's already very familiar with the franchise, the locker room, everything. It's about as smooth a transition as you could hope for, to be quite honest, in a coaching change. Uh, Pete Carmichael, 14 years at offensive coordinator. That's the one that gets me. Oh, having an OC, 14 years? Yeah. The same OC, same offense, enough success to stick around, enough uh, I don't know, gravitas to survive mm-hmm. coaching and regime changes. And everybody's just like, yeah, yeah. And you're like, no, no, not yeah, yeah. I mean, a five, six, even a seven-year run, half of what he's done is amazing. You look at that and you're like, is that right? Is he? Damn, he has been the Saints OC for 14 years. I think it's because a lot of people, you know, Sean Payton was the the quote-unquote head offensive coach for the Saints for so long. So Carmichael kind of flew under the radar, even though he had the OC title. But, I mean, he was still heavily involved in game planning. He was still heavily involved in installs, like everything, you know, self-scouting. Like, he did everything that an OC does. It's just, you know, Sean Payton was first chair, and he was second chair on game days. So I I have no problems... um, you know, now that Peyton's gone, I, I have no qualms about saying like, yeah, he's going to pick up right where Sean left off because he's been there for 14 years. How do you not? Yeah, he knows the song. He knows the music. He knows the cadence. He's played it up, down and sideways. 
He understands all this. So when you talk about a, you know, stability at the top of Mickey Loomis, that kind of stability in an offensive system, especially with the coaching staff moving on, we say, oh, well, the coaching staff changed. Did it, though? Not <laughs> like, really. Not, not really. really. Like, Dennis Allen's been there, you know, six years as a D.C. Yes, he moves into the top spot, and that does put a little more onus on Pete Carmichael to really pick up things on the offensive side, but he's been doing it for over a decade with the same team. And, you know, obviously, you know, sharing the last six years with Dennis Allen in the coaching room, like, that relationship's already established. So, yeah, it's a new coaching structure, but it's really not. Well, even on the defensive side of the ball, Ryan Nielsen, first year as co-DC, but he was still the defensive line coach under Dennis Allen for six years, so little to no transition there. Chris Richard, you know, year two as secondary coach, first year co-DC um, for secondary, but again, he's been. A, this is not his first rodeo. He's been a DC, he's been a pass game coordinator, um, Darren Rizzi's been there for four years as special teams coordinator, also now assistant head coach, too. Um, that's the thing with the Saints is they kind of hand out assistant head coach titles like candy. Uh, they, not every team does that. The Saints are one of them that do. Whether that's going to help guys get raises and jobs, I have no idea, but hey, to each their own. Um, but yeah, the power structure at the top is just, it's so rock solid. It's been rock solid for literally two decades now, and uh, I, I don't see that changing anytime soon. No, it's if you're looking for a model of stability, certainly on the coaching side, it's tough to get past what the Saints have put together. Yeah, Steelers, Patriots, but I feel like even Patriots have had more change outside of Bill Belichick. Oh, right? Yeah. They've they've churned coaches. Uh, you look at how many and in every area. DC, OC, even special teams, which are <laughs> notorious for changing every couple of years. Um, I I just don't think it can be matched in the NFL. They also have a strong former Saints player presence in their assistant level below that, too, which is not very common. No, they definitely like to bring some players back, and we see this with other franchises as well. We're going to talk about another one this week later on, but on the offensive side for notable coaches, we've got Ronald Curry, uh, who is the passing game coordinator and QB's coach. He is a former North Carolina quarterback. You might recognize him from there. Also a former North Carolina hoopster. Uh, but played wide receiver for the Raiders in the NFL. That's where you might recognize his name from. Doug Marone is the offensive line coach. Now, Doug Marone is the definition of been around or not your first rodeo. <laughs> um, he played for Syracuse, the Dolphins, the Saints, and the London Monarchs. Yes, that will date some users. They'll be like, London who? Yes. Uh, you know, NFL Europe, London Monarchs. Look it up. Good times. But he's coached just about everywhere on top of that. 13 different college and pro teams. He's gone everywhere from the Coast Guard Academy to Alabama. Now he's the offensive line coach for the Saints. Um, Doug Marone, former head coach of the Bills. Like, yeah, you've heard of Doug Marone. And, and Zach, Jags. And Jags. Uh, yeah. Oh, I forgot about that, unfortunately. Everybody little, forgets about that. I had I I'd I flushed that from my memory, but thank you for refreshing that. Also, Bill O'Brien's best friend. Fun fact. I don't think i knew that i knew they were yeah. acquainted certainly from being on the same staff more than once but then again who is doug marone not acquainted with from being <laughs> on the same staff because he's been on all of them um and zach streif uh who you'll recognize as a longtime saints old lineman uh was the radio announcer on their flagship station for the last uh three seasons and now moves back into the coaching room as an assistant offensive line coach so that's the offensive side the defensive side we have brian young not bryant young 
um, as a pass rush specialist, which is an interesting title, so worth listing. Um, but he was a former Ram from 2000 to 2003 and a former Saint from 04 to 08. So again, coming home to the organization and Sterling Moore, a defensive assistant who, again, his uh, playing stops kind of <laughs> uh, mirrored Marone's coaching stops. He was a Patriot, a Cowboy, a Buccaneer, a Saint, and an Arizona hotshot in the AAF and has, again, come back to New Orleans to be a defensive assistant. That's as close as they get. A little bit vague on the title. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> bringing their folks home uh, to come back with the organization just, again, speaks to that stability, that home ground. Like, yep, you were here. We liked you when you were here. You've gone on, done some other things. Why don't you come on home and coach for the Saints? Uh, keep in mind, he got there, if I recall correctly, it was Dennis Allen's first year at D.C. Sterling Moore uh, played for two years under him there. So uh, that's how I imagine that relationship started. And then eventually after he retired, what was like four years ago, something like that, call up your old coach, Dennis Allen, see if he's got a job for you. So uh, excited to see how that works out. Sterling Moore, again, uh, one of those players where uh, you look at him on a coaching staff, you're like, oh, that's where he ended up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a name you know, but not a name you kept track of. Um, We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Free agency losses. I want to preface this by, first of all, singing the praises of Mickey Loomis. I have been converted <laughs> over the last three years. I, I And I want to apologize to Saints fan. I, I want to... I want to say this first off. You guys were right. I can't tell you how many years I was like, oh, it's going to catch up to him eventually. No, this can't continue forever. This kicking the can down the road. This is all bullshit. Numbers matter. Math is real. It's fucking not. Math is fake. <laughs> they have gone two consecutive years clearing $110 million in cap space. Two straight years in the middle of the salary cap going down because of the pandemic, and they still did it two straight years. Mickey Loomis is incredible. And kind of looking at everything they had to do to get it done, they they handed out 23 void years to clear $110 million in space, which they didn't technically have to clear $110 million. They did it because they were going after Deshaun Watson. Um, ended up not getting him. Obviously, he went to Cleveland, and that's been a whole fucking can of worms for them since then so they ended up with 20 29 million in cap to use after Deshaun chose a different team which is when they went out and signed some guys we we're gonna talk about in a minute but I mean bravo to Mickey Loomis just for the sheer audacity to hand out that many void years I mean you're clearing 18 million for Marshawn Latimer you're clearing 14 and a half for Ramchick Michael Thomas there's like four guys you're clearing double digit millions for every year and they get it done every year. Um, 
That being said, they did lose a couple names, but the fact that they were able to clear that much cap space and limit the damage to just three major, quote-unquote, major names, Quan Alexander, Teron Armstead, and Marcus Williams, the fact that they didn't lose more than that is incredible, and I think the Saints front office deserves all the credit in the world for that. Um, now, talking about those three names, I think you and I can agree Teron Armstead uh, was the best player they lost, but also the most inevitable loss they had because as great as he is, you're got, he's playing 40% of the snaps you know, year after year, and durability is the best ability, and he just has not had that. I think he was the one that they knew was gone, right? Mm, they yeah. they knew what he was going to get. They knew other franchises were going to be willing to roll the dice. Again, having had him in their building, they knew exactly. They knew better than anybody what they had and what they didn't have and what the risk was, and they became unwilling to prioritize that to keep. So he was always kind of go. We have to... We have to say he's a loss, but we also kind of all saw it coming, and I think the rest of the league did too. Um, Quan Alexander was slowly losing his job to a rookie. He only played he played under 50% of the snaps. He played 47.9% of the snaps. You know, it was a fairly big ad when they brought him in, and, you know, his impact declined a little bit over time. Still a very good player. I'm not saying his playing declined, but he got outplayed by somebody they drafted last year. That makes you expendable in the NFL. If your contract is bigger and your playing time is decreasing, the guy that's more economical behind you, you're out the door. So Quan was a loss, but again, already have the replacement playing well in the building. Doesn't feel like a really big loss, and that gets us down to Marcus Williams. Marcus Williams was neither of the previous two categories. <laughs> he played 92.7% of the snaps. He played at a very high level. He has. Since he was a rookie, yes, he has a very big, notable gaffe that people always look at. And that always bothers me because, you know, all defensive backs are going to give up big plays. He gave up a big one in a bad spot. People sort of hang that on him and move on. And I don't think that's right because he's a very skilled defender. Um, you know, somebody somebody else paid him $14 million a year. Um, that's not an accident. He is an impact defender. But the Saints looked at him and said, we're going to have to pay him. We know that the rest of the league wants him. He's going to be able to go out and get a very solid contract. Do we do that? Do we try and match or better? Or do we see if we can maybe make his replacement out of a couple of players that basically total up to what he's going to get salary-wise and give ourselves two options instead of one? And they chose the second path, um, not because they didn't like Marcus Williams, but again, with creative cap management as a number one strategy, uh, sometimes you have to make choices like that. So really the only quote-unquote real loss out of those three to me is Marcus Williams because he's a big impact player he's playing a very solid role you know even in his last season in New Orleans you, you're gonna have to come up with some kind of replacement for that to Ron they sort of said we're gonna draft something we're gonna sign something we're, we're gonna we're gonna fill that slot a different way because we know we have to anyways and Quan they already have the replacement so it almost doesn't yeah. feel like a loss yeah, Pete Warner played excellent last year. So as soon as, honestly, Pete Warner started getting those snaps, we knew Quan was gone. There was no way around that. It was going to happen, um, especially when they needed to clear that much cap space. Like, they weren't going to spend that money on Quan. Um, now, in terms of Marcus Williams, that to me is like definition of one step back, two steps forward, because you do lose Marcus Williams. But for only two and a half million more, you're getting a combination of 
Marcus May and Tyron Matthew. So you're getting two safeties for literally the price of one. <laughs> so again, uh, smart cap conscious move there. Uh, really, really good player. It's all about money at the end of the day. Um, now, in terms of players, they were able to re-sign, uh, especially because of uh, some of the room they were able to clear. They they were able to bring Jameis Winston back uh, for $14 million a year, which given the current quarterback market, not bad. Not yep. bad at all. Like Even if you consider him a lower-end starter, it's 30% of the price of a high-end starter. So <laughs> I think he's better than 30% the, the quality of, of sure. those quarterbacks. So again, you know, dollars for value. That's that's great. Uh, PJ Williams, uh, depth at like nickel slash safety. He's one of those guys where you can kind of play him in a variety of places. But he's a depth player for them. Uh, brought him back for less than $3 million a year. That's great. Uh, Traquan Smith, a, in my opinion, like solid wide receiver four type, which for $3 million a year, fine, sure, whatever. Uh, Juwan Johnson, hybrid, hybrid wide receiver tight end for less than a million. That's bang for your buck. Carl Granderson, who's really had some nice flashes over the last couple of years uh, for $2.5 million for a rotational edge player that flashes as much as he does. That's a great value. Uh, and then Shai Tuttle, who probably will end up starting on the interior defensive line for them. Um, played less than half the snaps last year. I think that number's going to go up this year. Again, somebody who's two and a half million for a starting defensive tackle. Is he a top end starter? No, but we're talking about value. Dollars for snaps. They did really, really well. That's the ratio right there. It's exactly the words I was going to say. It's dollars for snaps. How much are we paying? How many are we getting? And with Granderson, like he played 40% of the snaps for them. And like you said, there were flashes in there. There, there was quality play that kind of made you say, I want to see a little bit more of him, not, oh, can we get somebody else to replace him? Uh, and you get an edge playing almost half your snaps. I mean, again, as a rotational edge, that's more than half of his assigned snaps for 2.6. Yeah. With potential, like, okay, is he ever going to plug in? You don't really ever want to plug him in as the de facto starter and just lean on him, but you don't have to. And again, dollars for snaps all the way down, all the guys you name, dollars for snaps. They did really, really well. And we talked about this in previous shows that modern NFL roster construction is you got to pay your quarterback, you got to probably pay one of your cornerbacks, one of your edges, one or maybe two of your wide receivers at this rate, and the rest you're going to fill in, right? You're going to pay your left tackle, sure. If you have a great interior, you know, Aaron Donald type that's creating pressure, you're going you're to have to pay him too, but you can't pay them all. And for the rest, you're going to have to make these business decisions, right? You're going to have to say, well, we have one safety that's $14 million. We can get two safeties for 16 okay we'll take the two and end up swapping with the jets which is always interesting like hey you take ours we'll take yours. <laughs> um but you know dollars per snaps ratio the saints pretty much have it dialed now in terms of uh, additions they signed from third-party teams because they did have some money uh about 30 million like 29 30 million in cap space to play with when all was said and done so they did go on a little bit of a spending spree late there uh andy dalton to be presumably their qb2 now that the Taysom hill experiment is officially finally over for the love of god thank you uh so andy dalton's gonna be the qb2 um He's, he's the new Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know, the traveling journeyman veteran backup. Uh, Jarvis Landry coming home 
to be probably their slot receiver because Michael Thomas, if he's healthy, top tier big slot, but can also play outside. Jarvis is somebody who I think fits more inside full time. So again, assuming Michael Thomas is healthy, he's at X, Alave at Z, Landry at slot. You have a great trio if everybody stays healthy. Um, We did mention Matthew and May for roughly the same cost of Marcus Williams. You're getting two quality starting safeties. Health has traditionally been a little bit, not even a little bit, a lot of bit of a problem for May, but when he's healthy, he's a very quality starter. And Tyron's Tyron. You know, again, he's going to get banged up from time to time as well, but he's going to give you energy. He's going to give you leadership. He's going to give you instincts, plays a variety of roles for $9 million a year uh, when you got other safeties making a lot, lot, lot more than that. You know, looking at Minka's deal that he just signed and, you know, what Derwin is eventually going to sign for and Bates is eventually going to sign for, $9 million is a value. So they had some money and they used it responsibly. Um, the one thing I found most interesting is that, by God, Tyron Matthew cannot get rid of Dan Sorensen. He's also backing him up once again in New Orleans. It feels like a didn't you see what happened last year moment for the Saints, <laughs> you know, management team? You know, you had Tyron on the field looking at Dan Sorensen like this a lot. Obviously a strained relationship on the field. I don't know about whether off the field, whether they made up and it was just, you know, competitive juices flowing on the field. But like Tyron's like, I have to wait and I get to go home. I get my homecoming, get to go back to where I'm a fixture in the city. I get my bag. I get $9 million. And what are you doing here? Like there's a lot of other players that play the same role as Daniel Sorensen who are available currently still available on the market that they could assign. <laughs> One of those NFL storylines that kind of slips under the radar, but maybe not past our eyes. We're like, really? <laughs> you go all the way to New Orleans and you turn around and the same guys there. Um, I, you know, I'm a Dan Sorensen stand from way back from pre-draft when I spotted him playing special teams and said, I, think this guy can contribute i'm not sure why he's not getting more buzz and got picked up as a udfa worked his way onto the field became a starter had some very good reps for the chiefs has had his struggles in the last couple of years for sure i mean you could do worse as a player by far but it was just interesting given the friction between him and tyron on the field last year that they were like yeah we'll sign tyron and dan since <laughs> didn't really seem like a package deal but they are both saints and we'll see how that plays out lieutenant dan man He's carved out a nice career. Um... CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax. The way car buying should be. For the draft, obviously, small class, first things first. That's the first point to be made here. Small class, very, very effective class, um, in my opinion. Like, they did get, uh, well, there's one pick that we're kind of iffy on, but we we believe in the coaching staff to make it work. But in terms of, like, value for each one of their picks, I did not truly disagree with anything they did. Chris Olave. At 11, 
top tier Z receiver prospect, which considering who else is in the receiving core, he's going to play Z. So I think he's going to play the exact role that he should be playing for them. And I think he's going to be very, very good at it. Um, We can argue in terms of like total stacking the board with receivers. Like, was he my top receiver on the board at the time? No, but for the role, yeah, perfect fit. And at the end of the day, What's the difference between pick 11 and pick 17 if he's productive? Who gives a shit? Um, Trevor Penning is like the one, and we talked about this post-draft, where we're kind of like, I don't know, but we're trusting Duke Mannyweather. We're trusting Doug Marone. These are two very good offensive line coaches. Duke signed off on it, said he's he's fixed him. Duke literally said, I fixed his issues. And Doug Marone is one of the better offensive line coaches in the league as well and has been for a while. So... We're trusting the coaching there that they're going to get the most out of his physical tools. That's all I can say about it, to be honest, uh, being diplomatic. But I agree with it from that standpoint of, yeah, he's a freak athlete. Trust the coaches. Uh, Alante Taylor, very, very gifted corner prospect. Um, I did wonder if they were going to do like a safety conversion type thing, but it sounds like they're 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 keeping him at corner. Um you know, he's going to mix in behind Paulson Adebo and Marshawn Lattimore, who were the two slated starters. And CJ uh, Gardner-Johnson is going to be the nickel for sure. But Alante is like your dime corner, considering his physical skill set, his size, uh, aggressiveness. He's a guy <laughs> that likes to tackle. Um, you know, if you're going up against a, a team that likes to run 11 personnel and has one of those like smaller, shiftier tight ends, you know, the... Um, the guys that blur the line between tight end and receiver, that's Alante Taylor's job for me. Uh, DeMarco Jackson, who had a lot of fans in draft circles, I think he's going to be a stud on special teams to start out in addition to kind of being a depth linebacker for them. And then Jordan Jackson, he was getting so much hype in April out of Air Force. Um, he was the biggest guy on the Air Force roster, still under 300 pounds because it's Air Force, but we're talking a guy who's like 6'5", played at 290, just lanky, rocked up. I I think he's kind of like a hybrid defensive end, interior guy. Um, I'm curious to see where he plays because they have a whole lot of that type of 6'5", 290-pound hybrid guys with Cam Jordan, uh, Peyton Turner, Jordan Jackson. Like, they... It's all the same profile. He's another one. So looking at this draft class overall, I at minimum liked every pick, and for most of them, I loved them. They've got a type. They've got a lot of types. They've got types in what they like in coaching. They've got types in what they like in players on both sides of the ball, and they stayed true to type pretty much throughout this draft. There weren't any picks that you or I went, what? Saints? Are you kidding? That's they don't do that. You know, Olave for me was one of my very top receivers, regardless of position. I I was a huge am a huge Chris Olave fan. Think he would have fit wherever he went. Think he fits very well here. Trevor Penning, crazy athlete. A lot was made about his attitude at the senior bowl. I thought that was a lot more fluff than, you know, that was a lot of posturing for offensive line coaches that like that. <laughs> <laughs> My problem was his ability to deal with speed outside. And if we trust anybody to fix it, we trust Duke to fix it. And Duke said, I fixed it. And my thing was, great, he's a great athlete, but he is not doing well with speed outside. And if you are picking him high, which they did, pick 19 overall, you are playing him at tackle. That is not a guard, right? You need a tackle. You lost a great tackle 
when he was healthy and on the field, you are playing penning a tackle. They've slotted him in a tackle, and Duke said, I fixed him. So, again, we're going to trust that ability because he's got all the physical ability in the world. But, again, the Saints have done this on both sides of the ball for a long time, the offensive line and the defensive line. They have a type. They take big guys that are great athletes, maybe not the most polished, and they polish them on both sides of the ball. And they've had great success with that throughout the years. So, again, a combination of who he was working with away from the team or away from his college team, combination of landing spot, having great success with, again, grabbing that type and polishing it up. And if you're going to polish anybody up, there's a lot there to polish with Trevor Penning. He has a lot of traits that can translate. And if they get it right, he will start for them for a long time at tackle. Lante Taylor, I was just waiting for you to say aggressive because he was the most aggressive DB. (laughs) One of the top two or three most aggressive DBs in this very large draft class. He will bring it. And he's got the size to back it up. He's not one of those tiny little Pomeranians that's biting at your ankles. Like he's six foot, right at 200 pounds, and he can hit and will hit. So, yes, put him in the slot. Have him, you give him a run fit, no problem. He's like, okay, thanks. Um, so again, yeah, they've got him at corner. I'd see him as sort of the fourth corner, maybe third safety, heavy set. He, he's great for any of that, and it's awesome that he gets to sit behind Adebo if they do want him at corner because Paulson Adebo, uh, much more fluid guy, but same size and also very aggressive in man, get, likes to get in people's faces, break passes up. So it'll be a great learning environment for Alante Taylor. And again, Saints have had a lot of success with their defensive back profile. They've taken guys like Paulson Adebo. Lattimore obviously had a much higher profile, but he's awesome. They didn't they didn't make him worse. They made him better, and that was pretty hard to do. So DeMarco Jackson, I waver a little bit with DeMarco Jackson. Depends on how they use him. I agree with you. Starts on special teams. Um, undersized, very fast, very active linebacker. Um, a lot of people said really good against the pass. I didn't see that as much. Um, yeah, I saw more of a... Uh, between the between the hashes run defender than a pass defender personally which is why i was like day one special teams and then like if pete warner gets hurt he plays the pete warner role but not as well as pete warner but for a fifth round pick that's fine because you get a backup linebacker and starter on special teams for that so i i i'm i'm with you the pass coverage part i was like i don't know about that yeah i think in in a in a sort of cone out just wider than maybe the hashes in sort of a, a triangle forward from where he's playing. Yeah, he can cover the pass there. <laughs> can he cover the pass in terms of, oh, that guy just motioned out to the slot. You had him in the backfield. You know, go go stay with Austin Eckler. Like, I, I, I don't <laughs> God, want that. No. no, I don't want that. Uh, but, you know, can he grow? And again, we're talking about a fifth round pick late in the fifth round. Like, eh, okay, fine. Like, uh, and again, they have a type. He seems very much like Werner, who they picked the year before and had great success with. There's there's a pattern here. They're picking their type and and think he, he can work in our system and we can work with what he has. So, again, not going to go against the pick. Just wasn't wild about it. And Jordan Jackson, same thing. Like you said, they already have a lot of these guys. They have these – they love big, square, lanky, rangy defensive end types that you can play at five, move to four – you know, slide inside at three for, you know, long down and distance. And now they're just going to be able to cycle them in waves. And Jordan Jackson was all about potential. It's like he's playing that well in a not great football environment necessarily. Yeah, let's get him in the building. Let's put him on a strength and conditioning program. Let's get him with a pro coach. 
we think we can unlock some things. And again, they've had great success in doing that. I know I sound like a broken record. I am. They are picking to type, which is a great draft strategy, and they've had great success doing that. So I'm a believer in this draft, small or not. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. In terms of uh, undrafted additions, uh, undrafted additions, I should say, this is another one of these programs where they bring in a ton of guys. Like Even if there's not a whole lot of available jobs, they're going to bring in a ton of guys and just see see who sticks. Um, and they 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 have a few names at the top that I think, considering the the holes they would be filling, I think they will stick. Abram Smith as like your your hammer to go along with uh, Alvin Kamara. He's going to be competing with uh, Mark Ingram and Tony Jones for that like running back two slash three role. I think at minimum he stays on the practice squad because. Alvin Kamara is the number one, but Alvin Kamara is not that early down hammer. You want him to get his touches in other ways that I think are more kind of outside the tackles or in the receiving game. Um, so Abram Smith, I think, fills that role. Lucas Kroll, very athletic tight end prospect, was surprised he wasn't drafted. Um, he's going to fit in with a tight end room that's probably going to be four deep, considering the the other guys they have in that room right now and the skill sets they have Adam Troutman will be the starter Taysom is technically a tight end but like kind of not really uh and then you you got Nick Vanette you got Jawan Johnson Jawan Johnson's like that hybrid tight end slot receiver type so I think he'll stick for that role and then and then you got Lucas Kroll who's another one of these big body athletic freaks that's that's more in the Troutman mold than anything else so uh, I think he will stick on as like TE4 for them assuming they carry four tight ends. Nephi Sewell, hybrid linebacker safety type, is different than every other linebacker they have. And when I say different, I mean different because he can actually cover it, man. We talk about, oh, DeMarco Jackson, he's not the type that you want to flex out to the slot following uh, Austin Eckler. Nephi Sewell is exactly the guy you want flexing out to the slot to cover Austin Eckler. He can do that. So he's going to stick just for dime packages alone. Uh, And then Smoke Monday... Guy that you're you're pretty fond of, uh, probably being like their third or fourth safety. So yeah, they got some guys here, man. I I do think that they're going to get at least four to stick on the final fifty-three. You know what they didn't get? Another quarterback. Quarterbacks. Peyton <laughs> yeah. left, and the annual tradition of the Saints bringing in like three UDFA quarterbacks from tiny little schools you've never heard of ended. They just didn't do it. They're like, no, thank you. We'll we'll take pro quarterbacks. We'll get them an FA. It's cool. Um, but that, that's sort of a tradition. I was sad to see end. It was always cool to see who caught Sean Payton's eye and all the film he did. Like, yeah, I get that guy. Well, from- he's a small school quarterback that's himself, right. so of course he's going to give guys that's a chance. Right. Get that guy from Central Connecticut Ag and Tech up here. I think he can throw <laughs> a little bit. Okay, all right. Uh, Smoke Monday, big safety, played for Auburn better going forward than he is going backwards. Very fast, very aggressive. Sounds a little bit like Alante Taylor, great special teams prospect if you're bringing him in, or great 
third safety as your heavy safety dimebacker, whatever you want to call it. Nephi, if you haven't seen our interview with him over on the Bootleg Football Clips channel, go check that out. Tremendous player, spark in his eyes. Yes, he is from that Sewell family. Uh, <laughs> you know, first first family of West Coast college football, I guess, if you want to call it that. <laughs> Currently. Uh, Lucas Kroll, I was really surprised he didn't get drafted. Not because he had amazing tape. His tape was kind of average, but a lot of the limitations that were pinned on him early were about his athleticism. And then he had a crazy pro day late, uh, at Pitt and put up ridiculous numbers that just sort of blew all those concerns away. So at least he can do it, you know, again, whether or not he does it in pads is a different thing. So it was a real study of like testing versus tape and what people prioritize, but He's sitting there as free talent. The Saints add him to what I think is a crowded tight end room that does have a lot of different types, but I could see him being one of the final four because he brings them some skills and, again, sort of fits that type. He's like Troutman light. I think Troutman's Mm -hmm. better and does more, but Krull can do um, all of those things a little, and that's, you know, if you're going to get a third or fourth tight end, that fits – Abram Smith, like all the other Baylor backs to me, um, you know, one cut and go fast, fast, fast. And, uh, you know, if you need one of those and you're going to run that outside zone toss and, you know, have him go pick his spot with some big athletic linemen going back to the Trevor Penning pick, you put somebody like Abram Smith behind him five, eight times a game and say, you know, pick your spot and see if you can get a whole shot, right? See if you can get a 25-yard gash. Go for it. Um so again, free talent, a lot of other guys, and they will make some of these other guys that we didn't mention as highlights stick. They always do. They will grab a couple of the defensive linemen. They will grab a couple of the offensive linemen. And, you know, you'll look up four years from now and one of these guys will have six or eight pro starts. And you're like, where, where did he come from? New Mexico <laughs> State. Okay. Derek Schweiger. Yeah. <laughs> New Mexico State. All right. Uh, sure. Yeah. Oh, he's UDFA. Okay. Saints do that occasionally too. So they will they will call through this talent they always have. Um, their UDFA hall, I talk sometimes about how certain GMs have a similarly aligned vision with certain positions with me. I'm like, yeah, I like that guy. I like that guy. Their UDFA eye is a little bit different than mine. They definitely like some different things. I tend not to have as many hits out of their classes that i'm like oh yeah oh yeah yeah the four guys you mentioned straight up a bunch of the other guys like okay uh we'll see we'll see yeah Yeah. uh in terms of team floor and team ceiling uh this is the last segment we do every single episode um you know what's the what's the absolute ceiling we see in wins and what's the absolute floor we see in wins i i gotta be honest i don't see them being a bad team I really don't. I have a seven-win floor, and that's like if shit goes horribly wrong. I'm talking like Michael Thomas still ain't healthy. He's not coming back. Jarvis gets hurt again. Jameis gets hurt again. You know, we got Andy Dalton and Chris Olave versus the fucking world. You know, the defense uh, is is very talented in starting 11, but let's say they start taking injuries and, and they got to rely on their depth, which is not particularly great at the moment. Again, the the top slice is amazing. The second slice is is less amazing at virtually every position group. Um, that's what it would take to be a bad team. Like I can't see them losing or winning less than seven games. On the high end, if the football gods bless them with health, that starting twenty two is serious. I think they're an eleven win team, and I think they make the playoffs. And once they're in the playoffs. 
They can play defense. They can run the ball. And Jameis, as long as he's not turning the ball over, with that receiving core, they can compete in a shootout too. Very balanced team. Stable structure at the top. They would be a problem. So we're talking about high end. They can make a Super Bowl run. Low end, they're at least average. That's where I see them this year. We see it very similarly. I I can't bring myself to believe in Jameis for 11 wins. I said 10 for their ceiling, but same neighborhood, different house. Uh, I think 10 is 10 in the playoffs is absolutely within reach, even if a few things go wrong, because I do trust the coaching staff. I trust that model, the stability. They're not going to panic even if Jameis isn't clicking at the top level. And I think he's a good quarterback. This is not an anti-Jameis rant. This is, I really don't, Jameis isn't the kind of guy until he proves it to me that I'm ever going to say, oh, that's a 13-win guy right there, uh, even with a good team behind him. He's, he doesn't have that kind of consistency. He has flashes of being a 13-game winner, but not throughout the whole season. So until I see that, I'm going to say 10, but 10 still gets you into the playoffs. You know, 10 and 7 probably gets you into the playoffs. Seven for the floor for me feels right. And that's, again, if Jameis gets hurt and, you know, they go back to the Taysom experiment because I really don't think Andy Dalton has anything left. Uh, Kamara misses time. Michael Thomas doesn't come back. And they really just have to grind it out. And this staff is capable of grinding it out, right? We're going to run the ball. We're going to, you know, basically coach up this offensive line. We're going to get some more contributions from some of those second-tier defensive guys. We're going to, you know, hold other teams and then just try and steal a couple. That's still, if all that happens, they are still a seven-win team because this coaching staff will will it to happen, even with straight second-tier offense and defense. I just can't see them below that. Yeah, so it's, they finished second in the division last year. I think they finish at minimum second in the division this year. Uh, I think uh, despite somehow never having money, they always have a good team. <laughs> it's it's the Mickey Loomis effect, man. He's he's one of the best in the business for a reason. He somehow just makes it work, and here they are every single year. They're going to be in it once again. So I uh, hope you guys enjoyed listening to this. We're going to be back tomorrow with the uh, quote-unquote number one team in the division. We'll see if that holds true for 2022. That is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, A lot of change at the top and also very little change at the top at the same time. So a lot to go over tomorrow with them. And then remember on Friday, we have our kind of macro division as a whole look that we do every single Friday. So see you all back here. Same time tomorrow, same bat channel. And until then, later. And if you made it all this way, (laughs) click like and subscribe because you're hanging on you're still here DJ, you're a real youtuber now look at There's you <laughs> just more coming yeah we gotta push it we're putting out a lot of content here and if you made it all the way through a 45 minute episode on the saints even if the saints aren't your team and you're not subscribed yet just ask yourself why i'm so proud of you i know look at me just glowing <laughs> up all over the place we'll see you, we'll tomorrow. See you guys tomorrow <laughs> take care